Mike Griffith here. Welcome to Ingles on the Beat program. Really excited to join you. Uh, ready to talk a lot of Georgia athletics, a lot of Georgia football, but also we'll talk a little Georgia basketball. And, uh, and then the, at 8 o'clock tonight, we're going to have Ben Cleveland join us, former Georgia offensive lineman, Big Ben Cleveland. Uh, Ben's got some funny stories, as he always does. And want to catch up with Ben as he prepares for Pro Day, right? Pro Day, fast approaching uh, you remember last Monday night we had Eric Stokes on and we were talking about Eric, uh, talking to Eric about wanting to run uh, uh, a 4-3 something 40. Well, Eric went out last Friday at the House of Athlete uh, down there in South Florida and ran a 4-2-5, a laser timed 4-2-5-40, which is just incredible. Now, by the stopwatch on the hand, it would have been a 4-3-8, but Eric is in that zone now. When we talk about four twos and, and four threes for a guy his size, that's six one. He'd go between 185 when he ran. He weighed 191 the other day. You're talking about a guy that's going to come in six one and a half, about 195 pounds after he's been in NFL training camp. Uh, he's absolutely perfect size. He's shown the speed, and he's got the film. And uh, I think Eric Stokes is going to be a very rich young man, a very successful athlete. He's already a successful person. But I think Eric Stokes now will go in the first round. I saw some projections today. Uh, he's still being listed as a second teamer. But give it time. Uh, those NFL teams don't call up the people that do the, uh, the the mock drafts and go, hey, move them up in your mock draft. We really want them in the first round. That's not how it goes. So uh, it, it'll be a matter before that trickles out. Ben Cleveland, uh, who's going to join us tonight at 8. I think I'm seeing Ben uh, projected as a third-round pick, which is really pretty good. Uh, for an offensive guard, when you think about it, you know, Ben wasn't the, the first team All-American or the Outland Trophy, but you get to thinking back to Ben Cleveland's career, there weren't a whole lot of penalty flags thrown in his direction. In fact, I couldn't think of one of any sort of significance his entire career. I don't think I saw Ben Cleveland jump off sides. I don't think I saw Ben Cleveland get a personal foul. I don't remember Ben Cleveland with a hold that wiped out a touchdown. I don't even remember Ben Cleveland missing a block that led to a quarterback sack. Uh, I'm sure that over the four years, he could probably tell me there might be one or two, and maybe I'll even ask him, but I don't remember Ben Cleveland doing much wrong at all. Offensive linemen, they're kind of a lot like referees, right? You only notice them when they screw up. And uh, and Ben's not a guy that I noticed much in the games. In fact, they, they ran behind him in a lot of short yardage situations. So uh, some breaking news just happened. I know we're getting the story up on Dog Nation. Isaiah Wilson headed to the Miami Dolphins, where he'll be reunited with Solomon Kinley. Uh, this is a great opportunity uh, for Isaiah to hit the reset button. Sometimes you need uh, a change of environment, a change of atmosphere. The Tennessee Titans had made it very clear. They were disappointed with some of Isaiah's actions off of the field. Uh, there was some documentation of, a, uh, of different things that had happened. I, I guess we won't need to dive too much into it. But uh, it, it wasn't a good rookie year. I think he played four snaps all year, and certainly as a first-round draft pick, I don't think the Titans were happy, and I think there were times that Isaiah expressed his frustration. So uh, hoping for a good start for Isaiah down in Miami. Uh, shoot, we'll ask Ben Cleveland about that too. I mean, Ben Cleveland is just uh, another good guy. You know, we talked about it last week with Eric Stokes about the people that you root for, about just guys you just – It'd be fun to sit down and have a beer with Ben Cleveland. Well, I hadn't had a beer with Ben Cleveland, but I did talk to him last week after he was buying some crickets at the gas station, uh, which is what you do before you go fish on a Sunday. And thank goodness that Ben is outside enjoying the weather and not playing some video game inside. You know, he's got his hobbies, his, you know, outside of sports. 
But inside of sports, you think about how hard Ben has had to work to get built up like he's built. I mean, Ben is going to threaten that NFL combine weightlifting record of 49 repetitions. That takes a lot of work. You're talking about a five-year career at Georgia. You're talking about a guy that persevered through a, a broken leg. If you don't love football, folks, you can't do it. And I just don't know if fans really appreciate how different it is here than some other places. Now, certainly Alabama is intense. I'm sure Florida, Clemson, any of these LSU, any of these championship programs, these guys, they're all in. And, and I think I have an understanding of it. And I want to be very clear because I, I don't want to do anything uh, that, that uh, trivializes the military. I served in the military. I was very fortunate to serve in peacetime. Uh, we had a lot of heroes that went overseas in wartime, and, and, and they were in a different military than me. I, I don't profess to be uh, to the level of these men that went overseas during wartime. I mean, that's a completely uh, – that's unbelievable. Those guys are my heroes. But, but I'll say this. When you're in the military, as I was active duty for three years, you're government property. You belong to the military. That's how you feel, right? That's the deal. You sign up for three years, and in my case, they gave me a college scholarship, so I would have money when I got out. But I sign up for three years, and when they say show up for formation, I show up for formation. And when they say jump out of the airplane, I jumped out of the airplane. And when they say go work in the arms room and become a weapons expert, I worked in the arms room, right? So I did what I was commanded to do, and that was part of the trade-off. Now, there's a little bit more freedom in college, but for the most part, when these players get into a program and, and Georgia says – show up at this time for the workout, show up at this time for practice, go to the training room at this time, show up at this time for the bus. This is when the team meal is. You show up and there's a level of commitment there that, that's not for everybody. And there's a level of commitment there that takes time to get used to. And there's a level of discipline there that could be different and a level of commitment and focus that's needed. And if you do not love football, you cannot do it at Georgia. You cannot be a starter at Georgia, right? If you don't love the game, if you're not all in, then go somewhere else. And, and I'm not going to mention the Pac-12 school, but I've covered another SEC team, and they had a quarterback there, and he was a big-name guy, and he was in the quarterback battle, and it didn't work out. And he just he, it, he went to a Pac-12 school, and I talked to somebody about it, and they said, you know, sometimes those guys that come from other parts of the country – don't recognize what it takes in the SEC. And, and, and the SEC is not for everyone. Certainly Georgia or Alabama, not for everybody. It takes a completely another level of commitment. And we're going to talk to Ben about that tonight. He redshirted. Can you imagine, you know, you're Ben Cleveland. You could have gone darn near anywhere you wanted, but you go to a school where you got to sit out a whole year. You know, that stinks. That's not fun. Going to practice every day and knowing you're not going to play in a game. Um, so uh, I, I think that's important that people know. Okay, so now I want to get to the story. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, you know, people make allegations of coaches and programs paying players all the time. You hear it all the time. So when you hear it, you don't go, oh, that's a story. It's like you hear it all the time. Is there any fire behind the smoke? At what point does it become a story? Well, in today's world with social media, there's all sorts of bloggers and there's all sorts of news entities so the, 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 the Valdosta coaches' allegations come out, and we got it. Is it a story? For us, once Nick Chubb came out and said, this is fake news, we said, yeah, Nick Chubb's addressed this. This is news now. It's acknowledged. We, of course, Georgia's compliance 
is going to look at it. They look at every single allegation that they hear. That's their obligation. If you called up Georgia tomorrow with an allegation, they would investigate it because that's what they're supposed to do. Right. So to me, that's not news. Yeah. People hear of allegations all the time. You know, uh, when Dan Patrick a few weeks ago made his comments about uh, Tennessee and the McDonald's bags and then threw George in there, I called Josh Brooks and I said, Josh, he said, yeah, I'll put this out. We we've looked into there. We don't have anything. All right. Georgia acknowledged it. It's story. Right. When Dan Patrick, who's a, a an objective uh, reporter uh, who has credibility in the business, makes a public accusation. That's different than some high school coach in the back room that's caught on tape uh, who may have, you know, people question his credibility. In fact, the most fascinating thing to me wasn't that, oh, you know, Nick Saban this and Georgia that. It was him saying that the Hoover Police Department used drug raid money to create a slush fund, slush fund for his high school team. Wow. That's, he's saying this happened in my program. You're not saying I heard this about Georgia. I heard this about He's saying, here's how we did it in Hoover. Now, to me, if I was in the Hoover Police Department, I'd be looking around the room going, there's some people going to get fired around here. Possibly. I mean, there'll be a paper trail there. So I didn't make, you know, it, it, nothing blew my mind. I, look, I, I was covering where I forget where I was. I might even been at Alabama or Auburn. When, when Nick Saban, oh, Julio Jones and Nick Saban, you know, you know, you hear this stuff all the time. Now, when stuff gets proven, when stuff comes out in the wash, like remember the whole Reggie Bush thing? Oh, well, Reggie Bush, it turned out that, you know, somebody bought his parents a house or whatever. Oh, you know, what they do, they took his Heisman Trophy away and retroactively punished USC. I mean, uh, the Cam Newton stuff, right? You know, oh, Mississippi State, you know, the dad asked the Mississippi State for so much money. He ends up at Auburn. What happened at Auburn? Nothing. Nothing happened at Auburn. Get, you know, nothing happened there. He won a national championship at home. So I guess my point is this. Allegations are made all the time, but there's a difference between levels of credibility and there's also a difference in what you can prove. And the thing that a lot of people don't recognize is the NCAA doesn't have subpoena power. The NCAA can't go to Nick Chubb and say, hey, Nick, I want to see your bank accounts from 2017. No. Now, if the FBI gets involved, as it did in the Alabama case with Albert Means in the late 1990s. And the reason it got involved was because money crossed state lines, which made it a federal crime. Then they can have subpoena power. That's when things get sticky. The agent thing that's happened in college basketball recently. You heard the LSU basketball coach on tape, seemingly making a, 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 some sort of violation with the sort of discussion he was having. So um, it, it takes a lot. It, there's a burden of proof. Uh, there's always been speculation on college football. It's never changed. I've heard stories of uh, kids whose parents, um, I won't mention the running back, but there was one running back uh, and, and he was a high profile running back and a lot of schools were competing for him. And, and his dad became a pastor. And why did his dad become a pastor? Some people said it was because that way the school could make a donation to his dad's church, right? There was another program I covered uh, they said that you could always tell when, when a coach of another program was recruiting a player because you'd go into the house and it could be an older home, maybe not as furnished nice as others, but it would have brand new appliances. And that was the tell that a certain school was recruiting this kid because 
they had a booster who was in the appliance business. So you hear these stories of how people are able to launder money. They give a kid, they have a bank account, they give them a card and they tell them the four digit code. The kid goes to the bank and types in the four digit code and there's X amount of, you know, people go to the mailbox and there's envelopes of money. You go to the basketball tournament, there's a pair of shoes in there and inside the shoes there's money. You hear all these stories for years and years and years. I'm not telling you guys anything you haven't heard. Everybody hears, everybody speculates, everybody wonders. Turn the page, right? Now, some real talk, some things that really we do know happened, and they're significant. Uh, start out with Joni Taylor. I think this is big news, folks. Uh, you know, Georgia women's basketball goes to the SEC basketball tournament championship for the first time since 2004. This is Joni Taylor's sixth year, and, and what an impressive turnaround. She won the SEC Coach of the Year. Uh, I think it was a great look for Georgia. If you watch that game or if you watch Georgia take out the number one seed, Texas A&M, or if you watch Georgia beat Kentucky, uh, I know anytime Georgia fans see those Georgia kids playing hard and represent their school well, televised events, that's an advertisement for your school, right? That's an advertisement for your school. And Joni Taylor uh, certainly and her program uh, made Georgia very proud. And they're going to be one of the favorites for the NCAA tournament. They're in position to make a pretty good run. They got a pretty tough whistle, I thought, against South Carolina. But you put them in the NCAA tournament, they're ranked number 12 now, probably be a three or four seed. I would not be surprised at all to see Georgia women's basketball in the Final Four. So circle that, mark that down, check that box. Men's basketball, they're still a ways off. Tom Crean in year three, right? Led Alabama by 10 at the half, played really good defense, chased those guys around. You watch that game and Severe Wheeler – and, and Justin Carr, the, the sweat is just pouring off these guys' face. Because to play Alabama, Alabama spaces the court so well. You have really, really got to chase if you're going to contest shots. And Georgia was able to do that for a half. But they did not have the depth to do it for 40 minutes. And they did not have the size to be able to hold their own on the boards. Alabama out-rebounded them by 12 rebounds. That was the difference in the game. Alabama also got hot shooting the three ball in the second half. It pays to be a great shooting team. Alabama was seven of eight from three in the second half. Good luck stopping that. So we got the SEC tournament this week. Uh, Georgia and Tom Crean will open up against Missouri, uh, seven o'clock Thursday night. This is not a good matchup. Uh, they did beat Missouri earlier this year in Athens. They lost in Columbia. and or, Excuse me, they played them once. They beat them in Athens. Missouri didn't have their big. Missouri will have their big, and Missouri will want revenge. This is a really, really difficult matchup for Georgia on Thursday night. I don't expect them to win. I do expect them to give another game effort. Saw a lot of improvement. Georgia was picked to finish 13th in the league. They finished 10th. A note that I took away from Joni Taylor, I got on the Zoom call after the Georgia-South Carolina game, uh, as well as after the Georgia A&M game on Saturday, but also Sunday. And I asked Coach Taylor, how did you get the level of buy-in? Because, you know, last year, I think they were 17 and 14, something like that. They lost to South Carolina by like 33 and 31. And I said, how did you get the level of buy-in to go from that to this? And she said, Mike, the level of buy-in was always there. It was having the players. And they got a transfer, and they got two more players. And that gave them the depth to make the current players that they had more effective because they were playing them too many minutes, Right. And I think that's kind of where Tom Crane is. You know, you look at that nucleus, 
Georgia, Auburn, Vanderbilt, the only three programs in the SEC that's three leading scorers are either true freshmen or sophomores. You know, Sabir Wheeler, Chumani Kamara, and KD Johnson. I mean, you've got a really good nucleus there, but you got to add a couple of bigs and you got to add some shooters or, or develop some shooters, right? Ty Fagan has to continue to get better. Another homegrown Georgia product. So good nucleus for Georgia men. Uh, they can look to aspire to be what Joni Taylor did with women's basketball this year. Uh, that's great news. Want to throw this out there. I haven't uh, gotten too much into Georgia baseball yet. I uh, wish I could, uh, you know, the whole duplicity. I wish I could make three of me and I, and I could be doing all these sports at once. But if you get a chance, uh, go on Instagram. Uh, the Georgia relievers have what they call their bullpen reviews. And, and apparently, maybe I'm late to the party. Maybe some of you guys already know this. But it's a pretty creative and clever way, you know, because these guys in the bullpen, Think about it. You got to sit down there and wait for your number to get called. They get creative, right? Relief pitchers are known to be a little zany and humorous. And these Georgia kids crack me up because they, they do bullpen reviews when they're on the road, whether it was at Kennesaw State or Georgia State, where they're reviewing the mound. Like, how good is the mound in the, in the dugout? How good is the bench that you sit in? What's the view like? Then they got something called the, the dry line. I guess you throw it into a wall or – uh, but they give the they they do the rankings. It's just these cute little uh, snippets. I probably shouldn't use the word cute. Uh, baseball players wouldn't like that. I, I would just say these funny little uh, snippets. Uh, they're bullpen reviews. So I, I would recommend you check that out. Uh, the Georgia baseball players, uh, you know, really uh, got a laugh out of that. Uh, so so a lot of stuff going on spring sports wise. But you know, football is king. And uh, hearing great things about what's going on in the program. You know, Kirby surprised us all when he did that media day. Uh, how cool was that for Kirby Smart to do? He didn't do it for the media, okay? He did it for the fans. But how cool was that for Kirby uh, to open things up like that and, and let Del McGee talk and let Matt Luke talk uh, and let Cortez Hankton talk and talk about the program and talk about players and goals, the team building that's going on. I thought that was really cool, and I thought it was noteworthy. I thought it was a, a sign. And, again, Kirby Smart is a great football coach. Georgia could not get a better fit. They could not get anyone that understands this program better that could be a more effective coach for Georgia than Kirby Smart. That person doesn't exist. But like anybody else, Kirby evolves, right? And going into year six, I mean, I think this is – a step forward with the transparency, understanding the fan base, and also promoting the players more. With name, image, likeness coming, uh, Georgia's going to be a program where kids can come and get a lot of attention. You know, Kirby's, Kirby's smart. He's in touch with his players. He's in touch with his staff. And the fact that they can't get out there and recruit in person now, absolutely let them do Zoom interviews. Let them do, uh, you know, press conferences so that the kids that are out there evaluating programs – can hear what Matt Luke and Del McGee and Cortez Hankin sound like and can have an idea what's going on at Georgia and why there's so much excitement and why Georgia's successful. It's not just a bunch of good players that come here for no reason. There's a reason that these guys sign up for this. And I think it's really smart that Kirby kind of uh, pulls, the, pulls the shades back or pulls the drapes back a little bit so you can look in and get an idea what makes Georgia tick. And I think Kirby Smart – with this staff, I think this staff is as good as it's been. And that's saying a mouthful. Had Sam Pittman on Friday night. You guys know Sam is a special guy. 
you know that Mel Tucker was a special guy. You know that Shane Beamer was a special guy. You know that Jim Chaney did a good job in 2017. Don't argue with me, right? But you look at the staff they got right now, and and I love it. And, and I think Will Muschamp is the cherry on top. And not because necessarily that Will Muschamp is going to come in, and even though he's one heck of a defensive guru, I don't think anybody would deny that. But I just think it gives Kirby that sounding board. I know he's tight with Matt Luke and – Matt's a good intermediary between Kirby and, and the offensive guru, right? Uh, but but I, Munkin, but I, I just feel like Muschamp is a guy that, that Kirby can look in the eye. Muschamp, Muschamp, yeah, he works for him, but, you know, if Muschamp doesn't agree, he's going to tell Kirby that he doesn't agree. So I think it's good that Kirby has that sounding board guy that's been there, that's done it, that came through the same program that Kirby did that understands Georgia football in many of the same ways that Kirby does. Sometimes you just got to have that guy, you know, and I know we all have it. You know, I'm looking at my picture, my producer right here, Michael Carvel. You know, sometimes when I'm talking shop and journalism goes one direction and I'm thinking another, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call my guy Carvel or I'll call Centel or I'll talk to BA about it or Connor or, or the boss, you know, you got to have that guy you can pick up the phone and, and talk with. And, and I think that – and I'm not saying that Kirby's some care case. He's not. He knows what the heck he's doing. But I'm saying it's always good to have another person that, that you can look in the eye that has an opinion that can say, well, you know, from my chair, it kind of looks like this. You know, every coach has to have that guy. Every successful coach I know has that guy. And I've talked about Clemson with Dabo and Woody McCorvey. And uh, you got to have the people that you can count on in short. And when I talk about the staff, right, I talk about Muschamp being the cherry on top, but there's some pillars in there. You know, Glenn Schumann and Dan Lanning and Del McGee, uh, I think Hankton has proved his wares. I think Matt Lucas has won. All these coaches, right, I think there's a real unified group right now. It's year two under Munkin. I think it's, what, year three under Lanning, or is it two under Lanning, two or three under Lanning, where there's one direction, and I feel really good about this staff. And I think Kirby knows he's got a staff that he can count on. I want to take a break right now. I'm going to tell you who else I knew that I could count on was Ingles. When this pandemic hit and, and we were all wondering what our next move was going to be and how we were going to get our goods and how we were going to take care of our family, we needed those people on the front line that were going to continue to supply us, that those doors would be open so that we could get those goods and feed our family and take care of them and get the supplies that we needed. For us, that was Ingles. I want to take a moment, recognize Ingles, when we come back, Big Ben Cleveland will join us. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. That's a catchy tune. That's Ingles, our sponsor. Really pleased now to be joined by uh, by Big Ben Cleveland. Ben, I mean, let me just start out like that. Nobody's ever really officially said that's your nickname, but and, and I, I maybe I don't even, maybe I'm the only one that calls you that. I don't know, but it just it just started happening. How, I, I've got to believe other people have called. When did you become Big Ben Cleveland? When did that happen for you in life? 
Uh, you know, I mean, that was that was a very early uh, early on thing. I was always a head taller than most people in my grade, so uh, that that kind of you know that that started back in elementary school. So uh, that, that that's been one that's stuck with me for a while. Did, did you ever? And this is probably a stupid question because you look like a guy that's pretty comfortable with yourself. But but you sometimes when guys are just that much bigger, they feel awkward or strange. Were you always at peace with being Big Ben Cleveland, or were there times you wish you were the size everybody else was? You know that's that's a love hate relationship because I mean obviously had this size not been blessed to my body, I mean I probably wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. Um, you know there's been a couple times walking through a door frame where I hit my head on the top, and I'm like, man, I kind of wish I was normal size just so I wouldn't have to worry about stuff like that, but. No, I mean, how do you do the airplane rides? That's what I want to know. Airplanes suck. I've always uh, told myself I will spend. Like Nobody's ever really officially said. I'm, I'm sorry, Ben. I missed that. What'd you say? How'd you do the airplane? Uh, you know, I flew uh, flew basic uh, a few times, and I told myself I ain't gonna spend the money on a plane ticket if I'm gonna have to be cramped up the whole time. So I'll just spend a little bit of extra money and you know get get a bigger seat. But uh, that that's been worth it. I guess so. Well, hopefully pretty soon, and, and, I, and I feel pretty good about this. I think you might have a few extra dollars to fly first class when you need to go places. Yeah, I, I hope so. On a, on a team plane, I know you've been working out. What is, what is that – you know, because you, you get in football shape, and, and, dude, you've been doing this since you were six years old. You, you've been a football grinder. This is a game you love and you've got passion for. But they tell me, especially for the big guys, that training for these combine drills is, in, is different – than when you train for football, how is it different? Yeah, I mean it's it's different. It's it's a lot different type of conditioning for your body. I mean during the season, you know we we get our we get ourselves prepared to, you know, go and sit there and, and just be in a collision for sixty minutes. I mean that's that's kind of the whole whole goal behind it and be able to sustain for that uh for that entire game. But you know this is a little bit different. This is a lot more you know fast pace. You ain't got the pads on. You're not hitting people. So, you know, this is this is just all cardio, um, you know, get up and going how fast you can get moving somewhere and, you know, kind of be able to sustain through that. And, I mean, it's it's definitely different. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty easy transition, though, from that, that football shape to, uh, you know, being able to go hop on a treadmill and run for a couple miles. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, now, you've, you've said it a couple times. I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. I mean, I – I felt pretty good about getting 225 up three or four times, to be honest with you, back when I was lifting weights. And I, they said it projected – whatever you had to do to project 300, I was done. I cashed out. Dude, you're getting ready to try and do it 50, 50 times? Is that the record? Uh, I think the record's 49, so we're, we're going to try to go for at least 50, see if we can't get one or two extra after that. But 50 is the minimum goal right now. Now, have you – when did you hit the bench? Because I know you were a baseball player growing up. When did you really start lifting in earnest? So, you know, my, my dad, he was – he never really let us lift weights until we got into the high school sports and got into an actual weight room. Um, so, you know, I kind of had the Herschel Walker routine growing up. You know, it was – we had a four-wheeler path cut out around our uh, couple acres of property. So, you know, I'd take off and I'd go run some laps around that and – you know, then I'd come in the house, I'd do push-ups and sit-ups every night. So, you know, there was – before I got into high school and started lifting weights, I mean, I was doing probably two, 300 push-ups and sit-ups a night. So, that was kind of – that's where that started at. But, you know, then I kind of got into high school and started getting in the weight room. And, you know, that was a lot more fun than just, you know, sitting in the floor watching Survivor on Tuesday nights doing some push-ups. So, 
No, that's pretty awesome. Well, I, I'm excited for you, Ben. I'm, I'm eager for for March 17th to get here. I know you are too. You've worked out hard. Uh, you got to see your teammate, uh, Eric Stokes, run a wow laser four two five. I mean, man, what a what a who's who of guys you've played with these last four or five years, Ben. You look back on your career, uh, man, some big wins for George. I guess I would ask you, and everybody's different, but are there any games, favorite memories that stand out to you? And I, I know it's hard to reflect because it wasn't that long ago, but what was always I think, You know, and I think this is a pretty universal uh, victory for all the guys on that 2017 team. But, you know, that, that Rose Bowl win out in California, that was – you know, that was something that will never be able to be recreated. Um, just just being able to go in a game for that long and, you know, knock down, drag out, and just have to get in there and do what we had to do, uh, you, you know, that's kind of the one game that sticks out to me where if I could go back and relive it again, I, I'd love to do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, man, that was sensational for the dogs. Put you in the title game. A little bit of heartbreak. I, when, when we talk about rivals – you know, I don't know who's the guardian of rivals. You know, I've, I've been making, you know, and I'll, I'll throw my opinions out. Your opinions matter a whole lot more because you wear that red and black. I look at Georgia Tech and I say, come on, man. You can do better than that in a home and home. But then I look at Tennessee and Auburn and Florida and I go, well, heck yeah, you got to play the." And, and then I look at the Florida game and I go, why isn't that a home and home? Do you, what are your thoughts? Do you guys talk about that or do you have any personal uh, thoughts on those things? You know, I think Georgia Tech is – this, I mean, this comes from that 2016 year, you know, they kind of had the, the offense play style switch over a little bit. But, you know, Georgia Tech was one of those games where we started preparing for them in week one. You know, we, we would have the offensive scout guys get down there and, you know, bear crawl and cut people. And, and that was kind of just the end of the week thing, just, you know, getting a little bit of a feel for it just because it was so much different. But, no, I definitely think that Florida game is, you know, I think some players have talked about it being home and home. But, you know, it's also one of those traditional things where, you know, that, that half half stadium in uh, Jacksonville, that, that kind of gets the blood flowing a little bit, you know. I mean, that's kind of – that's the tradition behind that game. Um, and, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind to see it a home and home series, you know, switching off. But, you know, then again, you got to look at the traditional side of things and realize, you know, that's kind of how it's always been. And, I mean, it's, it's worked. Right, no doubt. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting conversation because now with these recruiting weekends, and I guess I would just ask you this, because you were a very sought-after guy, uh, how important were those recruiting weekends when you went to stadiums? How much of a factor do you think that is? I'm guessing you probably hosted some guys at Georgia when they'd come in on visits also. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely important. Um, you know, the biggest thing to me for as a recruit was just building relationships um, with the players that were there and the players that were going to be there whenever, you know, I, I stepped onto campus. So, you know, I started going to Georgia whenever I was 13, 14 years old. Um, one of my high school coaches, his son was a fullback there at the time. So, you know, I was able to go and meet some of those guys and, and it kind of puts a good feeling where, you know, you know that you're going to step onto campus in a few months and you're not just a total stranger to these people. You know, you've already got relationships built with some of the guys that kind of know how things go. Uh, so that was my biggest thing. You know, it wasn't necessarily all about the stadium and everything like that because everywhere was going to have their own kind of, I guess you could say, lingo, whatever you want to call it, about their stadiums and, you know, their programs. But my thing was just the relationships and, you know, knowing that I was going to have guys on the team that I'd be able to click with. Well, speaking of clicking with guys, you know, you, you were a baseball player. Now, you didn't go – I don't think you went to the College World Series like Jake Fromm did. He was kind of the poster boy for the, the College World Series. But 
I did have some people ask me, Ben. They want to know. They apparently your record says you have five stolen bases in high school. They want to know if you went feet first or head first. I uh, was, I was, I was foot first every time. I I was uh, foot first with my cleat up in the air. I was trying to catch a little bit of pants leg or something other, um, just to kind of get the ball out of the glove. But you know, I. I like to consider myself to be a pretty good mover back in high school. Uh, you know, I was right at 300 pounds then. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to do what I could. And nobody's sitting there expecting me to go steal the base. So everybody's kind of back on their heels a little bit. So I was able to, I was able to squeak a few out. I was going to say, I'd hate to be the guy that was blocking the plate on you. I think I might just run the other way. I think I might just say, oh, he, we'll, let, we'll let this one go. Uh, it is pretty interesting when you talk about your career. Uh, you know, you probably could have played baseball, you know. I mean, did you ever – Did you ever? when did when did that dream go away for you? Because I know you're all football now. Yeah, I mean, the offers started coming in freshman year of high school whatnot. But, you know, baseball was kind of that one thing that, you know, I started playing it as soon as I could, you know, pick up a bat. My dad would used to have us in the living room, you know, hitting balls off a tee and, you know, whenever we was two, three years old. So, that was – baseball was always super fun. Um you know, my, my brother went on to play baseball at Georgia Southern. Um, and, you know, it it wasn't what he thought it was going to be cracked up to be. So, I figured I might as well just stick with the football side of things and uh, probably uh, get, got a little further playing football than I would have playing baseball. I'm looking at some of the comments, Ben, and somebody noted that you said back when I was 300 pounds. For the record, how big are you right now? I know at the Senior Bowl you wowed everybody at – like six, six and a half, three fifty-four. Where where are you at right now? Yeah, I'm I'm about three four. I was about three forty-five this morning when I got on the scale. So we uh, toned it back a little bit, getting ready for pro day, trying to cut a few pounds off. So I'm I'm still hanging around there a little bit. You had a sprained ankle down at the Senior Bowl. How's that ankle doing? And 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 what happened down there? Were you able to get some good reps in? Do you think? Yeah, I mean it was. You know, unfortunate for me, it kind of happened about midway through the first practice. Um, but, you know, I was still able to make make the most out of my trip down there, you know, for the first half of that practice. And then after that, you know, being able to get my hands on the NFL-style playbook and kind of learn some of their terminology and their techniques. So, you know, it was it was definitely a successful trip regardless of the injury or not. Um, I feel like I was still able to take advantage of that even though I wasn't playing. You know, you always wonder how a guy's going to transition to the NFL. There was some news right before you came on. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it. Uh, Isaiah Wilson was traded to the Miami Dolphins. He'll be down there with Solomon. I got to think that's a good thing. Those guys are friends. And, of course, Solomon had a great rookie year. Uh, Isaiah had a, a, a tough time. You played with Isaiah. We interviewed him. Uh, just your thoughts on where he's headed, because that looks like a guy. You talk about big. I mean, between the two of you, I don't know who's bigger, but that's two pretty monstrous guys. Uh, what do you think about Isaiah's future and Solomon's down there in Miami? Yeah, I mean, Isaiah obviously has some issues, probably some personal things that, you know, we don't we don't really know about that we could only see from the outside looking in. So, you know, I, I think that the NFL is the same way as Georgia is, and they're, they're going to be able to get him the help that he needs to be able to make sure that he's able to maximize himself and his potential. So, I mean, I, I think that there is a very good chance that he could pick it up this year. Um, maybe just being in a new environment around some people that he knows um, could be could be the difference maker for him. Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. Sometimes you got to have a fresh start. You know, one guy that got a fresh start this year, uh, JT Daniels comes into the program, you know. And, uh, you know, it's interesting at Georgia, you've had so much talent at all these different positions. And, of course, you know, Jake was such a steady hand. You look at the numbers, and Jake Fromm's numbers stack up against 
anybody really in the history of the program. I really felt like he was, uh, you know, maybe underappreciated a little bit, you know, because his job was to be the point guard. He wasn't out there to run around and, and run for 100 yards. He was out there to distribute the ball. He did it effectively. Uh, but then JT, you know, he seems like a guy to me, and apparently JT and Jake know each other. Like these guys know each other. They're buddies from the Manning Academy. Are there similarities? And uh, what were some of your thoughts about, uh, you know, just if we were measuring Jake against JT or just looking at their styles of play? You know, I think JT definitely has some of the same leadership capabilities that Jake had. Um, you know, he was a very vocal leader, very confident in his game and what he wanted to do. And, you know, a lot of people early on in the season were like, oh, why ain't JT playing? But, you know, they, they all kind of, you know, I don't know what they thought was going on, but, you know, it was JT's decision to be down there running the scout team and things like that. Um, you know, he, he came, he transferred in with that knee injury, so he was worried about getting himself healthier. And, you know, I don't think it would have really proved him to be um, any more successful this season had he went out there, you know, 75, 80% on one good leg. Um, and then, you know, that could have spiraled and snowballed into a series of different events, you know, that could have, could have turned him down the wrong path, um, for that, for this season. So, you know, he's, he's got this season under his belt, kind of got the swing of things. So, uh, you know, I think next year he's going to come out and he's going to really be the, you know, the anchor point of that offense. I'm going to ask, you know, you, you know, Ben, you, you wear those Georgia colors well. And, uh, you know, and, and JT loves the South. Now he'll tell you, he loves the South. But he's from California. I mean, I've seen him wearing the turtlenecks, and I've seen the mustache. I mean, it looks like a little bit of a culture class. Were there any any uh, anecdotes or any moments with JT that it, it shows he's – because he looks like a guy just kind of quietly, you know, kind of goes about his business. But every now and then I'll see something and I'll go, yeah, he's from California. He's a little different. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was some weird lingo that he didn't quite pick up on. You know, he kind of – he, he'd mispronounce a couple words here and there in the offense, and we're just like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, like, give, me, give me an example, Ben. There's got to be something that comes yeah, uh, We talk, talk about Stetson. You know, Stetson's from down in Blackshire, um, down in South Georgia, and he would call it Blackshire. Like, nobody's ever called it Blackshire. Like, there's no spelling that could possibly make that sound the way you make it sound. Uh, so, you know, he kind of he kind of went off on that, and he kind of stuck with that for the season. But, you know, that's kind of – Yep, you're you're from California. <laughs> Down here, so uh, no, but he uh, he started picking up on some southern some southern habits. So uh, it's it's he'll he'll be all right. He'll figure it out. You know, you've always been a unifying guy, Ben. We could always ask the teammates about Andrew Thomas. The most colorful Andrew Thomas ever got was when we asked him about you, and he brought up the knife that you would <laughs> use to eat fruit and things. And you know, you so the the teammates clearly enjoy being around you really a glue guy how tough was it this year though Ben one of the things you talked about before the season was trying to build that team chemistry I know you really missed hanging out with the teammates because of what COVID did how did you try to bring these guys together as the season went on because obviously that offensive line did appear to get better and better as the year progressed yeah it was tough you know we, we were on spring break at this time last year and you know we got a text saying hey like we don't we don't know if you know we're going to be able to come back or whatever it may be and you know then they're like well we'll keep you updated so 20 minutes later we get a phone call like hey you know like we're not coming back for another two weeks so you know our biggest concern right there was well I'm gonna call the hotel I'm gonna get a couple extra days in here down in uh, Florida so I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on the beach but no we uh you know we were able to do our Zoom meetings and everything and 
you know, Coach Luke was there for the bowl practice and things like that. And then after that, you know, he – it was just all virtual stuff. So, you know, we had the new freshman come in. He hadn't even really sat down and met them face-to-face. So, you know, uh, quite a few of us lived in the same apartment complex. So, we'd get together, you know, as an offensive line, have cookouts, things like that. Just just some stuff to kind of get everybody together outside of football, kind of take that tension and that – you know, that stress off of being in an environment like that and having to sit there and just be all about work. So, uh, you know, we, we try to do a cookout once a month, something like that, just to kind of get the boys together and, uh, you know, just, just have some good time to get closer to one another. That's pretty cool, Ben. That's important. It's a big part of team chemistry. You know, before you came on, I was talking about the level of commitment that players have to play to play big-time college football. There's a difference. I mean, there just is. There's a level of commitment. The, the workouts, the individual workouts, the weight to make, uh, the assignments, the playbook, you know, uh, the discipline it takes. It's just the demands, I suppose. And I guess I would just ask you, you know, you redshirted your freshman year. Do, do you ever really get used to that? Or, or is it is it a challenge the whole time? And just kind of your thoughts on, on how does Georgia do it? How does Kirby have so much buy-in when it takes so much to be a part of this program? Yeah, I, th- I think is you know, the, the potential that guys see of them, you know, wanting to reach their dreams of playing in the NFL. I mean, I don't I don't think there's a better program that puts guys in the NFL and really prepares guys for, you know, life after football. Um, you know, it's, it's just like our, our walk-ons and everything like that. You know, they're, they're paying to be there. You know, they're paying for the experience. You know, we get accountability coaching, things like that. We go to job fairs and, you know, we market ourselves and build a network. So, it's a lot more than just the football aspect of things. You know, some guys that might not have aspirations to play in the NFL, they're going out and they're building connections for jobs in the real world. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that really sets us apart, is, you know, just to be successful off the field as well. Yeah, and you're right. Under Kirby, you can see the lineage to the NFL. We saw 10 guys at the at the combine uh, last year. Of course, there is no combine this year, but if there was, there, there probably would have been 11 or 12 guys there. You mentioned guys going to the NFL. I want to ask you about guys on the other side of the ball. You have to go up against these guys in practice. I look at Aziz Adjilari. I don't know how much you got to work against him in the one-on-ones. I know you were an interior lineman and he's an edge guy. But, you know, I look at guys like him and Nolan Smith and and Jordan Davis. You know, any of those guys that just wowed you just physically, the physical marvels, we see them on Saturday in a football uniform. But any of those guys just blow you away? Uh, athletic, strong, quick. Yeah, I mean, they, they all have their individual set of characteristics that kind of set them apart. You know, they're they're all very smart um, football IQ-wise. Um, you know, some people – Aziz got a really hard head. You know, he, he, he don't mind going there and stick his head down somewhere and uh, give you a little headache every now and then. But, no, uh, you know, every, everybody's kind of got their own individual characteristics. Um, and, you know, we, we do – we always did our best to make the practices harder than the game. So, you know, we wanted our defense to throw in some weird stunts and kind of, you know, show us stuff that we're going to see on Saturday that, you know, our defense can probably run better than another team's defense. So I I think that kind of, you know, that helped the offense out. And then it's vice versa with the offense running some weird things against the defense. You know, our, our scout team offense could go and compete in at any level in college football. You know, they, they would be, you know, very hard pressed to, uh, you know, not be successful um, against some SEC defenses. 
So, you know, we really had that working in our advantage, just having that that strong of a scout team on offense and defense, just being able to give us the best looks week in and week out. You know, Eric told us last week, and you mentioned JT a moment ago, being down there on the scout team, and, and now he's that guy, right? For three years, you know, Jake Fromm was everywhere. He was the iconic face of the program. When you're the quarterback at Georgia, that comes with the turf, man. I know you're a recognizable guy, but being a quarterback – more kids know your name than know the Dagon governor. That's just a fact. Yeah, no now, doubt. But Eric was saying that down there on the scout team, JT started lighting up. I guess I would ask you, and, you know, how much of a lift was it once he got on the field? I mean, listen, he was a five-star guy. We saw the numbers against Mississippi State. Ben, were you even surprised to see four of them, them ball, that ball going that deep in the air over and over? Pardon me, wondered if Kirby was looking on what in the heck is he doing? Because I don't know that that was always the read, that deep ball that he was throwing against State. It just looked like a, a, a switch was flipped in that Mississippi State game. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the part of being a quarterback. You know, you've got to make decisions in a split second. You know, if you look over here and see one thing covered up, you got to get your mindset that you're going somewhere else. And, I mean, you, you've kind of got to set yourself on it, and, you know, you've got to do your job to put that ball in the best spot. So, I mean, that, that comes with territory being a quarterback as well, you know, just, just being able to make those decisions on the fly and have confidence in the decisions that you make because, I mean, you know, everybody else is going to do their job. You know, we're, we're going to block our assignments. Receivers are going to run their routes and tight ends are going to block and do what they got to do. So, I mean, at that point, it really is all on the quarterback, you know, just being able to make his reads and, and do what he thinks is best in the situation that he's given. Yeah, it was exciting. It was certainly an, an exciting finish to the season and, and I know you guys didn't get everything you wanted this last year, but, man, there were some tough injuries, Ben. You, you know it. I know it. Uh, tough games. I want to get back. I want to dial back on the rivalries a little bit. You personally, this is just you. I, I, I think your answers earlier were very political and even. And obviously you're, you're, you're going to represent the program extremely well. But for you personally, what, what was the rivalry? That, was there one rivalry, I guess, that meant the most to you? That, that was sweeter than other other teams to beat. You know, I, I think I think back to that 2017 season. You know, we 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 got beat by Auburn, and that that saying, you know, we beat the dog crap out of them. I think that kind of stuck with us or whatever. So I mean, everybody kind of played a little bit more on edge whenever we played Auburn. I guess you could say. Um, so that was probably one of my favorite games. Was just you know every every year that that uh, that matchup coming into it, but. You know, to me, in in the retrospect of things, you know, it was it was another game. Like you didn't make too much out of what it didn't need to be. So, you know, you just took it day by day, like it was another Saturday, and just kind of went on about your business. Yeah, and I remember you shut down Jake Fromm pretty good for singing Rocky Top. You weren't you weren't a fan of Jake singing after that game. We were all loving the video out. You said that was awful. <laughs> no, nobody likes Jake singing in general. You mean there was more than that? That was in a one-time thing? Oh, no. Jake just sings all the time. He'll just walk down, start spurting random lyrics, but he thinks he sounds, you know, like Luke Bryan, and he sounds like, you know, the, the guy you picked up on the side of the street. So he, uh, he he enjoyed singing, but we didn't enjoy hearing it too much. Well, see, now Jake used to say how Monty Rice would just hit you for no reason. Now we know why Monty was punching him. He probably didn't want to hear Jake sing. No doubt. <laughs> What, what about uh, the, those practices? You were talking going head-to-head and making it harder than it was in the games. One thing I always wondered about, they used to have open practices back in the day. And every now and then there might be a little scuffle. I always wondered how these teams, uh, how you could go head-to-head with a guy with that level of intensity 
and everybody stay keep clean and keep it cool. I mean, that's a that's a very fine line, Ben, because this is we're talking about a, com- a combat sport here. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's it, you know it's one of those things where we all realize that everybody else has got a job to do. I mean, you know, obviously if something comes in just super late after a play, you know, you might have a little push and a shove here and there. But you know, at the end of the day, you know that's what that's told to do and that's what everybody's gonna do so i mean that's that's just the mindset you gotta have and i mean you can't go out there and just you know take it off on anybody or something like that you know but i mean you, you've got to do what you got to do to the best of your abilities to be successful so you know nobody can kind of nobody can shake their head on that and get mad for you know somebody going a little harder on a monday or something like that so you know it's, it's all part of the game couple minutes left here Ben I, I, I do want to ask you about Kirby Smart when I look at Kirby and what he's done uh, his first five years as a head coach you know uh, four straight top 10 finishes 10 and six a, against top 10 teams uh, three SEC championship game appearances three East Division titles you know you, you were certainly a part of that Rose Bowl win uh, you know just some great victories for the dogs you know I don't think you ever lost to Tennessee lost that one game to Auburn that was it uh, one loss to Florida, uh, you know, just a lot of good things. What is it about Kirby? What, what helps the players relate? How does he get so much out of his players? You know, it's just it's getting guys to buy in, you know, being able to see that he takes the suggestions from the, the leadership on the team and kind of, you know, gets a feel for what we want to do, you know, because, I mean, we've, we've been around it, you know, maybe not as long as he has, but – you know, we've seen some things played against some guys. We kind of know what to expect going into a game. So, you know, we're able to have that input. And, you know, he would he would take that in, into consideration whenever going into a game plan. So, you know, he was he was really able to get guys to buy in just, you know, because they knew he would listen um, to, you know, what the leadership and what the players wanted. Do you think that there – do you think him being a former Georgia football player, does that hold a special note with players, do you think? Do you think they recognize that? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, because, you know, you can go and watch some Kirby Smart highlights, you know, on, on some game film or something like that. And, I mean, it's, you know, coming back coaching for your alma mater, you kind of got to – I guess you could say you got a little more grit in you to kind of, you know, be successful, maybe beat one of them teams that he didn't beat back in the day. So, uh, you know, I think it definitely gives a little bit more motivation um, for not only him but for but for us as well, you know, wanting, wanting to be successful. So, you know, so we can look back on senior night and things like that, and like, yeah, we we went out there and we kicked their butt. So I mean, we we didn't hold nothing back. So, you know, I think that definitely plays a factor into it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, sometimes they would give us video after the games of Kirby in the locker room, but my favorite video was the one where he said he wanted to eat. Ben, were you in, were you in the room when that conversation took place? When Kirby told everybody that all he wanted to do. It was eating it. It was time to go. Were you there? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the uh, guy that videoed that and released it got fired not long after that. But I was, I was there. I, I mean, I can't help but want to play for a coach that's that intense, man. I mean, that's uh, real. No, that's I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like your favorite pregame song, you know, makes you want to put your helmet on and run through a brick wall. So, I mean, if you got that every day at practice, I mean, you're bound to be successful. So, did you have a thought? Did, did you have a thought on the black jerseys? We did see them. I know some of the players before said they've been asking for it for years and years and years. They never thought they'd get it. This year we saw the black jerseys. Where did you stand with that? And was there a story behind that? You know, there wasn't no story. I mean, to me, it's, it's just like the rivalry games, you know. It's, it's just a piece of fabric that you put on, you know. It, it's still got that same logo on it. It's still got that same G on the helmet. So, uh, 
you know, it's it's nothing more than just a little bit of exterior, you know, glamour. But, you know, you still got to go out there and perform. So, you know, it, it was just, you know, it was another game, another jersey. So, you know, just just strap it up and go play. You know, one of the things we talked about, Ben, was, was how identifiable you were, right? It's kind of hard to miss Ben Cleveland. If you've ever seen Ben in person, you know it because – you can't miss him. He's 6'6", 350, and he's a pretty jovial guy, you know, and he, he says hello to everybody. He's just a gregarious, good-natured guy. I guess I would just ask you about your relationship with the Georgia fans. You had five years of it, man. This was a big part of your life. You went from 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 boy, literally, to, to grown man. A lot of things happened for you here in Athens. What was that relationship like with the Georgia fans? I mean, it's, it's cool anywhere you go, you know, hearing the starting lineups called out in Sanford Stadium and, and hearing the people cheer for you and things like that. I mean, it's, you know, as a, as a 20, 21 year old kid, you know, that's, that stuff's pretty cool to hear. Hear 96,000 people screaming and cheering for you. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty surreal moments like that. It just make you appreciate to be, to be where, you know, be where your feet are. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely a cool experience to be able to go out and be able to do that, you know, week in and week out. Well, it's going to be exciting, Ben. I, I know your next snap is going to be at the next level. Uh, you've carved out a legacy here at George. As I said, I, I don't remember many penalty flags being thrown in your direction. I don't remember uh, Ben Cleveland being the guy that jumped in that crucial moment, costing you five yards. I don't remember you being the guy holding, bringing back a touchdown. I said offensive linemen are like referees. The only time we noticed them was when they make a mistake. I don't remember a lot of mistakes. Yep, no doubt about it. Yep, and, and we'll look forward to seeing it. I guess uh, March 17th, we'll be looking for the bench. Any other uh, measurement speed? You try, you're going to try and run a sub 5-2? You're going to give us a 30-inch, 35-inch vertical? Any other numbers you're shooting for? Uh, we just, we're just going to go out there and do the best we can and see what we can get from that. So, you know, wherever, wherever the numbers fall at is where they fall. So, we're going to see what we can do. We look forward to it, Ben. Thanks so much for your time. I know the Georgia fans appreciate uh, your efforts and, and everything you gave Georgia. A Georgia kid that came to Georgia, uh, had a heck of a career, man, won a lot of ball games. Everybody wish you well, Ben. We'll stay in touch. Thanks again here from our Eagles on the Beat show. No, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You got it. Ben Cleveland, there he is, folks. And uh, what a wonderful uh, opportunity it was to interview Ben tonight. I want to thank everybody for joining the program. I'll take a look here and see if we've got any comments questions uh you know ben just a matter of fact guy you know a stand-up guy ben's the kind of guy that i could see coaching someday if he wanted to if he wanted to you can tell he's a leader right ben's a guy that everybody likes everybody likes ben cleveland right he's just a fun guy he's not going to hurt anybody's feelings he's very careful uh knows how to represent his school knows how to represent his teammates you can see why kirby would send ben out uh, at some tough times to take questions. And and Ben was always a guy that answered those questions, and he always brought a little bit of humor. He knew when and how to bring a little humor to the situation. He's going to be an invaluable resource for an NFL team. He's going to be that locker room guy. That's what he's going to be. You don't see many guys 6'6", 350, uh, like Ben Cleveland out there in terms of the power. And talking to the Senior Bowl Executive Director, Jim Nagy, who was a scout for the Seahawks and the Patriots and the Packers, you know, the reason that the stock is on the rise for a guy like Ben Cleveland is that power. You know, you talk about the bench press and sometimes these measurements, I was joking with Ben about the 40 or the vertical. That doesn't matter for an offensive lineman, right? I was being silly. What does matter, that bench matters. When you think about what your action is as an offensive lineman, your ability to keep 
those strong defensive linemen or to be able to reach and hold those quick defensive linemen, those agile guys, or to take that helmet from Aziz Adjulari, like Ben just told you one of Aziz's tricks is that he's going to bring that helmet, right? And Aziz got a hard head, right? That's a weapon, right? If you know how to use it properly and legally, that's why those guys have to respect Aziz. Ben gave you some information there in terms of why Aziz was, but you got to be strong. And so if Ben can set that bench prep record, if he can get 50 reps of 225, NFL teams are going to notice that because the film is already out there on Ben Cleveland. Ben will tell you, as good as he is, uh, and as much as he knows, having played for both Sam Pittman and Matt Luke, Ben will be the first one to tell you he believes he can be better technically. He thinks he can be even better. You know, the fact that when he told you about the Senior Bowl, right, he didn't talk to you about going down there and eating seafood in Mobile. He talked to you about getting his hands on an NFL playbook. This is a guy that is serious about following his passion in his heart, folks. So I, I'm really glad that we had that opportunity uh, to talk to Ben tonight and for him to share some, some background with you. And I know a lot of you saw those little clips of Ben here and there, but hopefully you got a feel for where Ben's at. I think he's in a pretty serious mindset right now because March 17th's coming, right? We're, we're nine days away from Ben Cleveland testing out for the NFL. And you only get to do it once at Pro Day. It's going to be a very important time for Ben. Uh, he's having to watch his diet. I guarantee you he's watching everything uh, that he's putting in his body, eating. You've heard him tell you he's down to 345. He wants that body weight down so he can run a good number, and yet he doesn't want to lose the power. Um, taking a look here at some of the questions, seeing what y'all got for me. Uh, what do you got for me here tonight? Um, I see Alice Sorrells uh, talking about being proud of Ben Cleveland. He did absolutely represent his community well. Uh, William Gleaton talks about you want a guy that can manhandle some people and push him down the field and then also you know, be able to sit up and pass pro. I really believe Ben playing baseball helped him. You know, he was a first baseman. I didn't get a whole lot into that tonight, but Ben played first base. You think about the footwork that a first baseman's got to have, you know, the dexterity with those feet, being able to find that bag, uh, set up, get the balance. Uh, ben also pitched a little bit earlier in his career. So, you know, him being a multi-sport athlete like that, I think that helped him, um, you know, and, and playing football since he was six. Uh, I, you know, Richard Sheffield says that Ben's got a future in pro wrestling once his career is over. You know, if he wanted to, he sure could. Because he is one entertaining guy. He's like I said, he's fun. He's jovial. Uh, I don't. I don't think he takes himself too serious. But more than anything, is that charisma, and, and you could just sense it. Uh, I don't know about how you guys felt, but when we're sitting there having a conversation with Ben, don't you just feel like we're all friends? I, there, there's just there's there's an. I don't want to say it's a a, a skill, but there is a certain a magnetism and charisma that leaders have. And it's, it's unmistakable. And, and, and Ben has that. I, I'll bet you he's the kind of guy that coaches couldn't get mad at even if they wanted to. Just because he's so doggone likable, you know he's going to give you his best. And, um, you know, William Gleet says he's a guy you want talking to your offensive line. I totally agree. I think, you know, I'm sure Ben did do a lot of hosting of athletes when they would come into Georgia. I'm sure Ben was a fun guy to hang out with. You know, and I bet you Ben was there for Jake when Jake had some tough times. You know, because uh, being the quarterback at Georgia, man, it's thankless. It is absolutely thankless. When you win the games, you're a hero, right? When you lose it, you know, oh, so and so could have done it better. And and I just feel like that level of pre now you got it now. Some guy, you got to know what you're signing up for, right? And and I've mentioned this when I've talked with people from Daniel's family. Listen, JT Daniels gets it. He lived it. He was in the spotlight in Southern California, 
playing at modern day high school, winning a high school national championship as a junior, signing at USC and being only the second junior ever to take snaps, one the second true freshman ever to take snaps, and he graduated a high school a year early to do it. That's a lot of that's a lot of pressure, man. That's a lot of pressure that JT Daniels was under at Southern Cal in his backyard. So JT coming down here to Georgia, right? It's hard to imagine, but the spotlight is even brighter. And I've told the family this. Hey, California, there's other stuff you can do. You can go surf if you want. You can go to a baseball game. You can go to an NBA game. You can go to the NFL. You can go to an outside concert. You can go walk around Pepperdine and look around those beautiful canyons. Georgia, on a Saturday, hey, we're all watching football. We're all talking about the Bulldogs in this state. We're talking about the Bulldogs 365. Other people might try to bring other things up. Let's, let's be honest here. The number one program team, sports team in this state right now, George Bulldogs. I think Bray's pretty good. I'm saying George Bulldogs is someone that's lived in the South since 1993. George Bulldogs. You cross that state line. I even saw that the other day. The buckle up sign. Those are Georgia Bulldog colors. Why don't they just put a Bulldog head on that seatbelt while they're at it? I mean, this is a Georgia State. When you're that quarterback, you're that guy everybody identifies. And everybody right now, every Georgia fan right now has their hopes pinned on JT Daniels, on JT Daniels panning out. How good could he be? I'll tell you how good he could be. I think as we sit here right now, if you play the what-if game, how many first-round picks might Georgia have next year? Right? Let's say JT has a season we think he's going to have. I think he's going to have an unbelievable year. I think his passer rating is going to be ridiculous. Um, I, I'm not sure about the numbers because, you know, sometimes George doesn't run it up like some other teams. I do think he's going to throw a lot of balls to George Pickens. I think George is – I put George over under probably 90 catches. Uh, but JT could be a – Pickens is a first-rounder. George Pickens is a first-round pick. JT Pickens. Uh, Jordan Davis is a first-round pick. Uh, Jamari Salyer, I think, could be a first-round pick. Uh, Lewis Seen, first-round pick, right? There's five guys right there. Am I forgetting anybody? First-round pick next year. Uh, maybe Cook? Maybe? Maybe? Ah, maybe. Running backs nowadays, harder to be first-round picks. Uh, defense? Uh, we mentioned Jordan Davis. Uh, you know, who knows? Will Trevon Walker have a breakout campaign? Adam Anderson. I think Adam Anderson could be a first-round pick because I think they're going to move Adam around a little bit. I think Adam Anderson's going to have a really special year. Uh, just because he's so athletic and he can do so many different things. Let's take a look here. If you guys got any more questions for me tonight, I uh, want to answer your questions. Nicobe Dean, Blake Pillsbury said it's a good one. I uh, got to hope Nicobe gets back uh, from that uh, torn late. Well, did he? No, he didn't have torn late. He had shoulder surgery. Uh, so Nicobe's going to be limited this spring. But I agree. I think Nicobe could be like a, a Roquan Smith. I uh, hope you guys got to see Sam Pittman last Friday night show with Sam Pittman. I really enjoyed talking with Coach Pittman. Uh, I talked with Ben off camera about Pittman. He loved Pittman. He loved Luke. Uh, but Coach Pittman was a special guy, obviously. And the reason I bring up Coach Pittman is because he told a funny story last Friday night about how the offense looked like they were doing better. And everybody's saying, oh, your offense has really improved. And he said, well, that's because Roquan Smith was not there for spring. You take him off the field, your offense is going to do a little better. So that was a testament from Sam Pittman uh, to what Roquan Smith brought. And, and to me, we talk about – Georgia needing a DB. We talk about the portal. Listen, I've got confidence in Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo. I got confidence. I think Amir Speed can play. I, I but you've got to have depth. You got to go nine, ten deep. You're going to use all those guys during the course of the season. You think about what 
teams have to ask a cornerback to do now. Because of the RPO, right, linebackers have to respect the run action. And because they have to respect the run action, that means that your, your defensive backs are, are stuck in man-to-man. Not only are you asking them to play man coverage, but you are now asking them to come up and run support and take on these running backs that go anywhere from 210 to 230. Najee Harris, big dude, right? Uh, so there's a lot on those DBs. It's hard to keep them all healthy. There's a deficit there. Georgia absolutely has to add bodies. As Kirby brought up, uh, brought up Marie Smith from 2016, an experienced body. You lack experience at corner. So those are some things to look for. But I think the linebacker position, to me, that's a – that's a position that I'm a little – I'm not comfortable with. I think Monty Rice was special at Mike. You know, he won, you know, all first-team All-American. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick. But Monty was assignment sound. You could count on Monty to, to cover the gaps and make sure the team was aligned properly. And when the team's not aligned properly, you, you saw what happened against Cincinnati, right up the gut, right? You didn't see that happen with Monty Rice in football games. And, and I don't know that Quay Walker is ready – to step into Monty Rice's shoes. I've heard people, you know, mention Channing Tindall as a possibility. N'Kobe plays in the middle also. He doesn't play the same uh, inside linebacker position Monty did. But I, I think Georgia needs an inside linebacker to step up. I think that's another area of, of concern for me. Um, let's see what else we got here. You know, Brandon Harbuck brings up Devad Wilson and Otis Rice, Otis Reese leaving a couple of transfers with Devad going to Central Florida and Otis going to Ole Miss. Uh, yeah, you know, since the end of the 2019 season, you've had nine players either go on to the NFL or transfer out. So there's been a lot of attrition at that position. So you guys make a great point there. Uh, Speed's a freak, Lisa says. I, listen, I can't thank you guys enough for watching uh, every Monday night. I'm going to keep trying to bring you some great guests. I really enjoyed Eric Stokes coming on last Monday and then seeing Eric go out and, and run that 425 was special. I know all the Georgia fans. We're pulling for him. Having Coach Pittman on Friday night, uh, as I said, it, you know, it, it, in case you wondered if Sam Pittman could get any more likable, just watch that program. I mean, he's just a he's just a really special guy. And, and you saw Ben Cleveland tonight, I, another one of the fan favorites. Look, Georgia football, the program, uh, is an entity, right? You root for the team, you root for the G. But don't ever forget that it's these guys like this, like the Eric Stokes, like the Ben Clevelands, like the Sam Pittmans. The Mel Tuckers, the Shane Beamers, certainly Kirby Smart, the guys that Kirby puts in that building that represent, the guys that compete, you know, they're likable. They're good people. And that's part of what's happening at Georgia right now. They're not just great talents, but there's great people over there. And, and I'm really excited about this spring. I really am. I, I thought it was so cool that Kirby had that press day and, and let Matt Luke talk to us and, and let Cortez hanged in. It really gave us some insight. When I say us, I'm talking about you guys, too. My job in the media is just to take what they say and, and provide content and say, here's what they said or, or put it into context. Here's what they meant by that or what we think that they meant by that or, or you know, here's what we can take from that. Uh, but really, it was Kirby that's made this spring possible. I think you guys would all agree it's been a lot of fun this spring to talk about Georgia football. And I think you got to thank Kirby Smart uh, for, for starting the clock early. We, he didn't make us wait till March 16th. He held that press day. It was a shock that he did that. But I think Kirby recognized that he's got an excited fan base. You know, George winning those last four games with JT Daniels, 
Uh, what a great bowl win, even though they were shorthanded. People talk about that. Oh, Cincinnati. Almost, I, you realize Georgia was missing five starters from the previous game, right? So, you know, that was a big win for Georgia to win four in a row. A lot of momentum going on right now. Some good times at Georgia. Looking forward to seeing what Joni Taylor and the Lady Bulldogs do in the NCAA tournament. And let's see if Tom Crane can get one more win. It would take a lot of X's and O's and some good shooting to beat Missouri. That's going to be a tough matchup. We're going to be talking with Coach Crane here in the next 24 hours, get his take on Georgia in the men's basketball tournament. So for now, I'm going to sign off for my producer, Michael Carvel. Thank you for the production tonight, Michael. Uh, thank all of you for watching. Thanks to Ingles uh, for sponsoring on the beat show. And, and thanks to Big Ben Cleveland. We're going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. And uh, I miss, I'm going to miss his interviews, man. And I'm going to be following his career uh, along with all those other Bulldogs leading. So everybody, have a great week. And uh, I'll be joining you later on this week with more 